0: Welcome to the Connect the Dots podcast. My name is Heather, and I am your host. Connect the Dots is a podcast that takes the time to explore deep, thought-provoking questions that I have, and if if you have any, you can let me know, and we'll deep dive them together. But we also learn more about neurodiversity here. We bring in interviews uh, from a variety of individuals on a variety of subjects, and we learn how to navigate the workplace. There's a lot of stuff that happens on this podcast. Through all of this, though, my goal is to help you connect the dots as we bring this beautiful journey called life together. Today, I am sharing the interview that I did uh, with Michael Ricks. I'm going to be honest. I have no idea how I first connected with Michael on Instagram, uh, however many years ago that was but i always enjoyed like hearing his music he would pop up in my stories and there he'd be playing his banjo and and you know telling like you know his story and stuff and i always enjoyed when it would come up in my stories and i bought his book um you know a couple years ago and and read his book and then like he just kind of fell off my instagram and i don't, i have no idea why i don't i don't know how that happened but i didn't realize it cuz i follow a lot of people on instagram so Sometimes I I go, oh gosh, I missed that person and, and didn't realize like something happened. And so when I was going back through the list of people that I had written down that I wanted to interview for the podcast last year, his name was on the list. And I was like, wait a minute, I hadn't seen him in a while. Like what happened? Is he like, what's going on? So I went, searched him up on the Instagram and uh, and he was still there, thankfully. No idea how he fell off of my my list. Uh, but I'm thankful he was still on Instagram, still sharing his story, still sharing his music. Um, and and so, of course, I followed him back. I reached out and was like, "Hey, Michael, like here's I'm hi, random podcaster here. Uh, <laughs> I would love to uh, interview you. Uh, I, I read your book all of this, so I, I You know, reached out to him and he was kind enough to say, absolutely, would love to sit down and talk with you. So um, that is the conversation that you're going to hear today. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit of his bio here in just a moment, but before I do, I want to let you know that this conversation um, today does cover um, information about his life as he was growing up in a cult. It also talks about the loss of life due to medical neglect. It doesn't get super detailed or anything like that, but I know that those can be sensitive issues for people, and so just want to give you that just heads up that that this is uh, is talked about um, a little bit in his bio, and it is talked about um, in a couple different places in the interview. Um, So there you go. So now you know. Uh, Let me read you a little bit from his bio before I uh, cut into the interview. So this is uh, this is from his kind of like one pager, right? It says, um, spend five minutes with Michael Ricks and it becomes apparent that he is no stranger to hardship and hard work. Also exhibiting, he is the most unique banjo player vocalist in country music today. Um, in 1990, Michael was a young teen who watched in silent horror as his baby brother was allowed to die by cult member parents as the beliefs that modern medicine was of the devil. His life became increasingly bizarre since his parents withdrew from society, carrying their children with them. In addition to eschewing all modern conveniences, Michael and his siblings performed manual labor around their secluded rural life. Prayer was the only medication allowed in this environment, and Michael struggled to breathe daily due to battling with severe asthma. Realizing he could face a similar fate to his baby brother, he mustered up the courage to tell his father he would leave one day and never return. And when that day finally arrived, he stepped out on faith into a life of freedom, never looking back. Music has not only proven to be a healing force in Michael Ricks' life, but also a tool to share his story and inspire others. I 100% agree. And this interview... um, as with a lot of my conversations, um, we we don't go in a straight line. We do kind of bounce around um, here and there, um, but there is so much good stuff in this interview. So I appreciate uh, you taking the time to listen today, or if you're watching on YouTube, thanks for watching. Um, and let's welcome Michael to the podcast. <music> Well, welcome, Michael. It's so good to meet you today. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, wonderful. Well, I told everybody uh, before I started this interview <clears throat> a little bit about you and, and how I came to know uh, you via social media. And but I, I want, you know, I told them what I know, but I want them to hear from you. You have such a fascinating story and we're going to get into all that. But, but Michael, who are you? Tell, tell my audience who you are.
1: Well, um, I'm an African-American. I'm, I'm a country music artist uh, based in Nashville. I play banjo. Um, and my background is uh, a pretty interesting story. Uh, it's, I'm a cult survivor. And um, I experienced medical neglect uh, as, a, as a child early on. I was essentially born into the cult. Uh, my parents were in college at the time and came in contact with some people who were listening to audio recordings of this particular teacher, uh, preacher, and he um, didn't believe in medicine, in medicine or medical treatment. And so my parents um, wanted to be um, spiritual. They wanted to be, um, you know, like be enlightened. And so they decided to follow the teachings of this spiritual leader, not realizing that the, the more that they followed him, uh, the stranger, his teachings would get, and um, eventually uh, he would be. You make make any medical treatment or, or doctors or of any kind uh, basically some kind of evil thing to be avoided. Um, and so, uh, his whole thing was: you either um, receive treatment by prayer or spiritual means, or meditation, or reciting scripture texts, uh, Bible texts. Or if you didn't, um, you know, become uh, well from that, um, you know, then you didn't really have any other options other than basically die, basically. Uh, and unfortunately, um, a number of deaths transpired uh, with people trying to follow that those teachings.
0: And and you and you wrote about this in your book um, from uh, from cult to country and. Um, which which I have here with all of my notes because <laughs> I, I, I I just reread it again. but I remember in in the book, right you you mentioned that when your father had started to get more and more into the cult, that all the joy that joy all but left the room that that's the quote from the book is joy all but left the room. and I just when I reread that the other day, like I was just like, I can't imagine and so just thank you for being so brave to tell your story um because i know a lot of stuff happened uh, you know you, you mentioned not getting medical attention leading to you know the loss of life and that happened personally with your family and just um being able to share that and let people know that you can survive those kind of things and and you can come out on the other side and, and you can do you know do so much more um, in the, in the book, too, so we'll start here because I'm going to get to your music career um, it shortly. But in the book, you talked about um, sneaking the radio down and listening to Def Leppard. <laughs>
1: yes. yes, I remember hearing, uh, hearing them on my radios. My dad had a, a cassette, a double cassette player, um, which was made by Sharp. And they had these red cassette players with two cassettes. Uh, back in the day you could put a cassette in one side record it play it and record onto the other cassette uh, kind of like a duplicating process so that you could give the original cassette back to your buddy he, so I would get he would put it up on the top top counter of the of the c- cabinets so I was you know even at the age of 12 I was pretty tall and so I got brave and I would put go up there and i pull it down and I'd look around and make sure there was nobody around and i you know, put it on the, turn it on the radio and I'd hear Def Leppard playing, you know, if you're alone tonight, you know, you know, and hear them, you know, playing the music. And then I'd listen for like two minutes and then I'd put it back up real quick on the tap cabinet in the kitchen. Um, and that was, uh, some of the ways I, you know, kind of, you know, kind of knew that, you know, some, that some of the stuff out there was being kept from, you know. Um, and that's some of the things that, you know, like the joy of just listening to the radio or the joy of seeing my dad, you know, go with a bunch of his buddies to a picnic and play basketball or play football. I remember when we would go to picnics with friends and stuff and my dad would no longer uh, feel, uh, you know, he, he, he felt like it was wrong and it was, you know, evil to play basketball or to compete, to have a competitive, uh, you know, element about you as a person and to play sports. So he demonized it. And, um, it was one of the things, uh, that he, uh, believed was wrong. I wasn't necessarily taught by the cult leader himself, but one of the things about the cult is that it always made, um, people find additional complications to add to their life. Things that you were to find evil and be always creating a list of evil things to eliminate that you found out you were doing this one bad thing that you had no knowledge of. And suddenly someone says, Oh, you know, that one thing you're doing that reading the newspaper thing you're doing, that's wicked. That's bad. That's terrible. You need to get rid of that. You know? So there was always this this ever growing list of wrongs to eliminate.
0: Again, not not having ever been a part of that. And and I'll be honest, you're the first person I've ever talked to that, that's come out of a situation like that. So I'm like, I'm intrigued and fascinated. And again, just so thankful for people like you that tell their story. Um, But I know that's not your whole story. So I I don't want to sit there. I don't want to sit there too long. Um, But you, as you were growing up, you ended up leading worship. And so that's where you did start to, and you played drums first. Yes, yes. I was Uh, at
1: a youth camp. Um, and a guy named Daniel Burrow, uh, who is a uh, ma- amazing '80s style arena rock type of a drummer, uh, and he plays every other every style as well. But that was kind of what was big back then. And uh, he um, he put his drum set in the lobby of our youth camp. Um, we were all probably I don't know maybe 150 of us or more are all going to summer camp and we're waiting in the lobby for them to open our dorms uh, or cabins actually and so we're meeting We're standing in the gym which is kind of the auditorium slash gym on the campus of the camp and so we're, we're, we're there and everybody's just kind of standing around wasting time just kind of you know and it's taking them forever to get the cabins open so he pops out his drum set sets it up and, and says, Hey, guys, you know, and so he let, you know, different guys and girls, you know, just try to halfway see if you can make some rhythm on the thing. And I remember I was able to sit down from actually watching him at church, because our the way our church was set up, the drummer faced the congregation, but I was sitting to his left. So I was facing his left while he faced forward to the congregation so I could see every motion and every you know timing of everything he did so I learned to play drums that way like from just from years of watching him you know do all the different motions and I could I could predict when he was going to hit a symbol when he was going to hit the snare when he was what he was going to do on the kick when he was going to do a drum roll um, and so I sat down the first time and I was like you know <laughs> the first time <laughs> You know, I mean, I wasn't perfect, but I could actually play a beat on the drums. Uh, and that was probably, that was the first instrument I actually, you know, from somebody letting me play their instrument. That's, that's how I, how I started. Same thing, same thing with guitar.
0: Yeah, I remember, and you talked about that in the book too, about how you would watch the, the uh, worship leader play the guitar and you, and you learn to play those chords um, that way which is fascinating I played music in high school but I I'm not like that kind of musical like to just be able to watch somebody my husband bless his heart has tried to he's tried to he's like come on hun just sit down you can play the drums I'm like no no I have no coordination between my hands and my feet um and so it's a disaster every time and he he tries to encourage me. no it's fine I'll just you know I'll sing karaoke we'll be good <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay in my safe space. Um, but you you talked about, too, like the first time that you um, got up and you led worship, right? So the first time you were kind of thrust up, uh, you know, onto the stage a little bit. What was kind of what was going through your mind when they were like, hey, will you just go lead worship? And
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, so well, it's funny because my dad had. And let me buy this, this true tone brand guitar, T R U E tone, and you can see them on on uh, eBay these days. Uh, and they're kind of a red sunburst looking guitar, acoustic guitar with kind of a headstock that looks like a, a Fender Stratocaster. Um, and um, I bought this from my buddy who had um, a um, he had a. Uh, an old one that him and his sisters would drag around in the grass. There were a couple trailers down in the trailer park we lived in, about 10 trailers down from us. So I would see him down on the sidewalk at my trailer and I'd see him circling their house, dragging it through the grass. So one day I talked to my dad into letting me buy it. Well, I didn't have the money to buy it. Um, and my dad heard me in the front yard talking with my buddy Tim who lived in that trailer and i was like I'll, I'll buy it from you but can i have it today and then i'll, I'll pay you the four dollars for it and my dad came outside and heard heard us talking about this and when he went running down to get the guitar my dad said now you know you don't have the money to buy that and he had wadded up a, a four dollar bills in his pocket and handed it to me uh to give um to give to my buddy tim and that was my first guitar so i, I had to begged my dad to drive me all the way into town to get new strings because we lived way out in the boondocks and we got new strings put on it, six strings of, you know, brand new strings. And then I talked my dad into letting me take the guitar to church so I could sit at my chair, you know, at, you know, at, during service and during song service, I'd watch the guitar player and, and I would have somebody show me a D chord or a G chord or a C chord. And then I would sit there and I'd watch his hands until I could get fast enough to switch from chord to chord to play actual songs. So one day, I'm at youth group, and um, I'm playing acoustic guitar in the band. Um, And I'm 12 years old, and um, we're waiting. for It's 7 p.m. The Bible study singing is about to start. We had a youth band in our youth group. So our youth band was better than the church band. In the adult church band, so uh, our youth group, we had this um, band, and I'm playing acoustic guitar. And there was this guy, this other African American guitarist, uh, singing, singer guy, singer songwriter. His name was Lemuel Dees, and so he's in the, in the, uh, in the, you know, coming in to. He would come from work, and what he would do is he would literally walk in from work. It would be 7 pm we were supposed to be singing he would literally run up on stage flop open his guitar case plug it in and start playing like he that's literally how fast he would have to get from work from wherever he was coming from to the church and this particular time he didn't make it and so we're all standing there we're all standing up in church getting ready to sing and there's no there's no song leader there's no got nobody to lead the singing so i had sung one song Original song at youth camp. And, um, but I, you know, as far as youth leader, he didn't really know if I could play all the songs. The youth, youth, our youth pastor. So he says, Michael, go up and lead worship. I remember thinking, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to stand up in front of 150 kids and start singing. Uh, and I thought, come on, man. I'm looking at the back like, rest. <laughs> come on. And so he's like, Michael, go up lead worship. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, how can this be happening? Next thing I know, I see our youth pastor walking up and he's walking down the aisle toward us, toward me. And I see him and I'm like, oh, crap. And he's, he grabs me by the shoulders and walks me up onto the main little stage there. And I remember leading the worship. Um, I mean, I played all the songs that I knew and I knew the songs that the band knew. So the funny thing was I didn't mess up any of the arrangements of the music. I didn't play anything off key or, or make a turn in the music the band wasn't ready for. Everything like flowed. I mean, my voice was as high as Michael Jackson, like when he was ten, you know. So my voice was yeah, blah, blah, you know, really high. And my legs are shaking like crap. I don't know. They probably didn't look like they were back then. But I'm up there doing
0: that. You know,
1: and uh, 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 that was my first time leading music there for the youth group. And the funny thing was, after that, word got back to him that there was now somebody to lead the music. And he didn't have to rush from work on Friday night to get to our youth group. And uh, that was kind of the start of me doing the music for our youth group. Um, And uh, that's, you know, that's how I learned to play guitar. And that's right about the time I started writing songs and uh, telling my, uh, getting my feelings and emotions uh, written out on paper and starting to try to craft lyrics for songs. Um, That's kind of was, you know, the beginning of my therapy of growing up in the cult. Uh, and growing up in an atmosphere in a home that was driven by those teachings of the cult, uh, you know, it made for a very rigid, very closed, very um, stiff environment. And we didn't smile, we didn't laugh very much. We didn't—it wasn't, you know, much love or hugging or, or fun. So um, we we were, you know, it was, that that was my way out.
0: Yeah. What? Um... I mean, do you think from from that first time did you did you kind of know like this is what I want to do?
1: Um, yeah, I, I remember. I remember one another time we lived. We lived even further south in a town called North Manchester. Um, this the whole cult where my parents ultimately ended up. You know, taking my family. We were in, in We were in Ohio. Um, by the time I was eight years old. My dad had abandoned uh, his residency in the medical field and my mother had abandoned her, uh, her, her field uh, as a uh, psychologist. So by the time I'm eight years old, we jump on a, a Greyhound bus with two suitcases and we go to, the, to Indiana from Ohio to, to this cult. Uh, we leave Lyme, Ohio and go to uh, what was then uh, North, we- well, what was North Webster. And then we ended up in a town called North Manchester where North Manchester Colleges. Um, and uh, long story short, uh, I remember talking my dad into driving a half hour back to the church building uh, to watch the band at the church, the adult band, rehearse. And uh, the main worship leader at the time of the main church, uh, he had wanted to get guitars and add uh, uh, horns and flutes and different things to the band, and uh, so. I never forget the front row. The church was probably, I don't know, maybe twenty chairs long, thirty chairs long, and I remember there was a guitar player in every chair. For this you know, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm like nine years old. I'm mean, just guitar as far as the eyes can see, you know. For me as a kid, you know, and I never forget hearing all those nine of those guitars um, kick in uh, when he was. You know kind of auditioning them and um you know that's that's uh part of when i started realizing i really really like music you know when i was four or five years old i used to listen to uh records and i my mom would put the big headphones on my head when i was like four years old and i listened to a whole record play from front to back you know um so that's, that's how i got hip to the record player. And, Um, I would always ask my mom to flip the record over and I'd listen for the entire record, you know, so I I started to realize that, you know, I was, uh, I really loved playing music.
0: I love, I always love to hear that, that journey of like kind of what, what made it click you know, as far as the music piece, like what little, all the little pieces, right, to, you know, to connect those dots, uh, <laughs> as the podcast says, right, of how you kind of got to where you are. Um, when you were going through all of this stuff, and, and you end up in Nashville, and, and you've had so much stuff going on, and it just seemed like, you know, reading the book, it's like, okay, I'm almost there. And then something happened and I'm almost there and something happened. How did you, how did you keep going? Like what kept you moving forward um, and not, not giving up or reverting back or like, what just kept you pushing forward?
1: Um, you know, it started to have uh, really weird signs that, that this was bigger than just me playing music um one of the things that i learned when i was when i was a kid was my dad uh was notorious for just saying no like i'd be like dad can we get some ice cream no okay uh can we get some new tennis shoes no uh, you know my dad was just like no 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 i remember i asked him if i could get a, a new guitar stand a guitar stand for my guitar and said no and i was like oh, okay this does not work. (laughs) Um, And so um, I remember my sisters asking my mom and dad for a swing set. And, you know, seven kids, there were seven of us. I'm the oldest of nine of us by the time it's all said and done. But back then, I mean, they didn't have the money to buy one, you know. Um, So I remember going in the backyard and building a swing set out of two by fours that we, that I had, that my neighbor next door had lent, uh, given me a bunch of wood that he didn't use. He was a carpenter by trade. So he would give me this wood and I built things with it. Um, I built my sisters, my two younger sisters, a swing set. And um, and then I, I also made a guitar stand out of uh, wood, out of two triangle pieces to hold my guitar, and I remember going in, my dad said, and said no, and I remember going in the house after I made it, and I put it in the living room, I something was happening, and I put it in the living room, and I set the guitar down in front, of, in it, right in front of him, so he could see that I had made one, <laughs> you know, and I was like, take that, I'm picking my own guitar, <laughs> you know. So it was like, I learned to like be really persistent and I learned how to make things and how to create things. Um, you know, I used to make drums out of oatmeal boxes and boxes of grits. And I used to take a hanger, like a wire hanger, and take, a, you know, a, a, bo- a box from grits and a box from oatmeal and I stick them inside the hanger and then hang the hanger over the back of a chair. And I'd use pencils and I could halfway play them like something, you know. Um, and uh, I took my dad, my dad had a paddle uh, that had a, uh, it was like a two by four with an L shape cut out on each side so it would have a handle. And I took some boot shoestrings and tied them from end to end really tight. And then I put a clothespin under it, to under the string until I got it right to the edge and right on the corner of the edge you would raise the string up so you could play it you know so i learned to like really like even if somebody told you no you could work around what they told you so you know i started when i came to nashville um, you know i started working toward my dream of playing music as a full time musician um and so i started you know i encountered obstacles i encountered homelessness um, encountered you know living in bedrooms and renting a bedroom for different you know roommate situations you know going from house to house to house because usually those roommate situations last like nine months if you're lucky they might last a year um, uh, you know paying back then about 300 400 for a room um, i got to you know driving for uber to to make ends meet um you know so i could keep giving energy to playing music um i kept my life really simple i didn't get in a bunch of credit card debt or you know get married too early or you know um, uh getting a, you know a big car payment or anything like that i kept things everything very simple and very slink lean um, and i knew that if you know if, if something knocks you down or something makes you you know lose your your uh, your options that first time around you go back and Plugging away at it till you get it done. Um, so that's kind of how I learned to to um, be resilient and to not give up. And to I basically figured out that no one was going to give it to me. Nobody was going to make it just plop it in my lap. I was going to have to go for it. Um, so that that's kind of you know um, how I kind of learned to be tenacious
0: and, and stay accurate. And yeah, that's, I, I love the, you know, how you, you didn't let it stop. You You just kept being ingenuitive and just being innovative and, and going for, going for it, not letting anything stop you. So, um, so you, you've gone through and you've, we, we've talked about kind of growing up, getting to Nashville, how resilient you are, all of those things. Um I want to to know a little bit. So the book you wrote it came out what four years ago now?
1: Twenty eighteen, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So so take me like what's happened since? <laughs> so, yeah, what what's been going on since the, since you published the book?
1: Well what I found out was I found out the power of telling a story. Um you know, sometimes you wonder if you sit back and maybe you you know, you live in a small town like I did, uh By the time, you know, our family left, uh, left Indiana, which I'll explain a little later. um, And we ended up back in Ohio um, in a small oil and steel town called Lima, Ohio, between Dayton and Toledo. Uh, It's about 40,000 people, uh, give or take, um, as far as the population. And there's just really, you know, unless you want to be a factory worker or a nurse, or work in HVAC or something like that. You know, the opportunities are very, very, you know, plentiful. So you know, it was not much to look forward to. And I remember kind of being the square, the you know, the round peg in the square hole. Um, always being told to get a job. Uh, I was always having all this creativity and you know, imagination going on, and um, everybody else around me kind of didn't really feel or or, or kind of live life that way. You know, and so um, I discovered really early on that, um, you know, I was going to have to make some changes in my life. And uh, when I finally got to Nashville, um, it, you know, it just required um, kind of just, Kind of a no-holds-barred kind of a w- approach to things. I had to really just um, sacrifice a lot and work really hard. Um, and I'm trying. I'm forgetting your question. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, but like since the book came out, like what's life been like uh, over the oh, past four years?
1: So yeah, so part of so what's happened is, you know, you when you see when you see live in these small towns, or you look at your life and you're like, well, nothing's cool is happening in my life, you know. When I started telling my story, um, I always wondered how people that, you know, end up on the main stage in there, you know, maybe as a comedian or maybe as an actor or whatever. For me, the thing that lit the cockpit up and made my life take off was telling that story, was writing that book. And I found out that a lot of people who are victims of abuse and victims of trauma and many different kinds of struggles, uh, they... Um, a lot of times, don't want to tell their story, uh, but because I told my story, when I finally gave a place to, you know, people saying, you know, your life is a movie. You could be, a, your life could be a movie. Have you written a book? Um, you should write a book. Um, when people kept saying that to me, uh, the people that actually really knew my real life story, not the one that I had kind of cut out all the bad details and stuff. You know so it, it took me a while to, to to really own that and when I did all these opportunities started open up and so my book started bringing all these people to me uh, that had been through cults experiences, uh, abusive situ- situations, uh, you know very very uh, private you know abuse situations um, and all of a sudden I started seeing, all these doors and windows of opportunities pop open um, and all of a sudden everything that seemed like impossible before all of a sudden had I was like oh my story is how these things happen you know you're like well how'd that person get on TV they told their story Or oh, how'd that person get on that stage they're telling their story in some facet or somebody's telling it for them uh, uh, and some people have, have very public helpers that help them do that um so that's that's how i i started you know since i've I've written the book uh, i've discovered that that um you know that's what was holding me back that's what was keeping everything from really kind of turning on and making finding its legs and kind of starting to have some some forward direction with my career and everything so you know i tell people to tell their story you know, one of the things that happened is I, I ended up getting um, cast in a Bank of America commercial for the Ken Burns country music documentary uh, that airs on PBS. Uh, it's on cable, on dem, uh, cable on demand. Uh, and it's also on the PBS app or just regular PBS television. And you can watch, uh, excuse me, the, the documentary about some of country music's biggest um, successes. Um, during this documentary, Ken learns, uh, at, you know, interviews Loretta Lynn, uh, Johnny Cash, Kenny Rogers, many of these the greats that have now since passed. Um, uh, speaking of which, um, I even imagine he had um, uh, Naomi Judd on, who just uh, passed. Yeah. Uh, she passed uh, Saturday. Um, you know, yesterday, uh, the Jets were inducted into the country music hall of fame uh she died the day before which was saturday before they were to be inducted uh, but yeah it, you know that's what you know So one of the things that happened is i got put in that, in that commercial and um and i one of the things that happened is i learned to play the banjo in 2016 and so by the time um i'm you know really uh starting to see some of these opportunities and doors open up, you know, I ended up being, uh, in Billy Ray Cyrus is still the King, uh, uh, in a scene acting opposite of Lynn Shea, uh, from something about Mary. Um, and, uh, I ended up, you know, I've been, you know, just crazy, amazing things. I got to, um, play twice open for uh, John Snyder of the, of Dukes of Hazard, uh, just left this past uh, Saturday—not this Saturday, but Saturday before—played uh, his main stage in his music festival in Louisiana called Bo's Extravaganza. Um, I got—I've gotten to meet Darius Rucker. Um, I've been on a CMT television uh, broadcasts. I mean, I've had so many things that happened, and it, it started with me telling my story, really owning who I really actually was. Um, not being afraid of the trauma, not being afraid of the, the, oh, I don't want to tell that. And that doesn't mean that I didn't feel that, doesn't mean that I didn't experience that. But I didn't, I always wondered how different opportunities came to people. And I tell you what, if you don't tell your story, then you're hating yourself and rejecting yourself. Uh, And then people, when when you hate yourself and reject yourself and, and close yourself off, then people never really see who you actually are. Um, and so then not only are you closing yourself off to yourself, um, you're also closing yourself off of, to people who need to hear your voice. People that need to hear, Oh, somebody else went through what I went through. Somebody else experienced the pain that I went through. Um, so many times that as I kind of started walking through this corridor of telling my story, I, people would, when I would tell my story to them, um, they would say, oh my goodness, um, can I tell you my story? And then they would be, they would feel confident enough to tell me about what they went through. And they would tell me these most horrific, awful things. And they would say, you know, please don't tell anyone. You're the first person i told, you know, if it wasn't for you telling your story, I wouldn't have told, your, told you mine, you know? Um, and because you told your story, I felt brave to tell you my story. And I started realizing that a lot of people feel alone, feel isolated, feel um, unworthy, inadequate, um, and feel like they have to walk around with a fake face, uh, always you know looking like they have it together or only telling the parts of the story that make it look like they have it together. Um, and me- meanwhile, they're just surviving and struggling behind the scenes trying to hold it together Um, so I've learned that telling your story um, really empowers you and um, really gives you the ability to speak life and hope into other people and it gives us like a common bond where we can share our pain together and then you know just speaking it, just sharing it, just holding it uh, letting it go and, 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 and releasing it, it gives you so much freedom and, and takes the power away from the pain um, and it gives the power back to you. It tells you, you know, basically, um, one of the things that I discovered uh, is that um, a lot of the trauma and the pain that we've been through, um, a lot of it, you know, it... It's like it wants to leave its permanent mark on your life, um, and half the battle is the pain happens or the event that happened happened one time, or maybe it happened a few number of times, but once that is in your past, the, the game is for it to continually play in your mind over and over and over and over, and once once you get that to stop, you know through EMDR or through therapy or through counseling, or through life coaching, or through meditation, or whatever whatever you have that gives you that coping mechanism, um, that's, that's where you break the power of what is intended to continually uh, destroy you from, you know, from continually, like continually to ruin your life. Something that happened 10 years ago, you know, can continue to keep bothering you, continue to keep destroying and messing up your life. So that's what I found out was that telling a story keeps giving healing and giving power to me instead of giving power to the to the victimhood and to the to the circumstances that were trying to take me out.
0: I mean, Michael, those are such wise and and good words. So good. It's so true. Telling your telling your story it gives you the power it doesn't give them the power it, it gives you that power to heal and I, I love that you mentioned you know counseling or um the the emdr or meditation or, or whatever those kind of things we we are just uh, recording this on mark on may 2nd and it is it is mental health awareness month uh and so a very timely message um to to let people know because it's important to take care of your mental health especially if you go through traumatic things um and then being that safe space you know to hear people's stories too and and letting allowing people to open up because i agree when you when you kind of let your when you tell your story it it lets other it gives other people that safe space to feel like well i can tell my story too Um, so fantastic those are there's so many little like sound bites I could just I could play a new one every day and just remind myself to like <laughs> all of the goodness um all right so um I've got a couple just a couple small questions uh, for you before we wrap up so um you started out leading worship and you do you still lead worship now I know you you had on and off you're you still leading worship um currently?
1: Yeah, so I've done some leading worship for a, a big church here in Nashville called um, uh, Christ Presbyterian, and I also do some music for um, another church called Franklin Community Church here in here in Nashville, Franklin. Um, they um, they're an amazing organization. Uh, have opened the first Franklin's first homeless shelter. Uh, have opened a men and a women's halfway house. Uh, has, they have opened a uh, youth center. Uh, teen center, um, community center. Uh, They have um, started a housing development program that when people find themselves homeless, they're able to um, uh, basically get into this program and then ultimately have help with their first year's rent, things of that nature. So I do music for them from time to time too. Uh, They're called Franklin Community Church. Um, I do work in country music. That's my main day-to-day uh, work between songwriting and performing. Um, and uh, yeah, that's something that uh, I'm really excited about. My uh, my single Sugar Girl uh, that you were talking about at the beginning, it's uh, it's on Facebook Sound Collection, uh, which is why you can find it on Instagram and add it to your stories or your reels or your videos. Same thing goes for Facebook, uh, but it will hit the country radio version, which will be a little bit different from the the Facebook Sound Collection version uh, will be a little bit different. That'll come out the week of June first.
0: Ooh, yay! I'm so excited. <laughs> so, I and I don't think I don't think we were recording when I talked about that, but yes, Sugar Girl gets stuck in my head like all of the time. I'll wake up from like sleep and I'll and it will have been going in my head in my dreams because it's so <laughs> catchy. Wow so good um, so yes I am super excited that it's going to hit country radio um, in June but I will um, we'll make sure we have all of the links to all of the things um, and I'm glad you talked about like country music is now like like what you do um, what uh, what else is coming up for you um, music wise do you have any shows or any plans EP's like what what's kind of going on uh, what's coming up for music
1: well, I'm going in the studio here with uh, producer, Ryan Rossabo and uh, another engineer producer, Zach Allen. Zach Allen works with a pretty uh, famous country, I mean, uh, Americana artist named Keb Moe. And uh, he's a Grammy-winning producer and uh, engineer for, for that artist, Keb. Um, and so I'm getting ready to go uh, work with him. Keb tours with people like Bonnie Rae, um uh, dave matthews uh, a lot of different other artists uh, but um, uh, i'm going to the studio to record um i've really been blessed uh, to be able to record with nashville's top recording musicians uh, to go in and take this banjo sound and uh, put it uh, bring it into um, uh, you know the scene and, and put it out there for the first time and really let people hear country music record
0: that's really driven by banjo. Uh, I know you, you put stuff um, up a lot where you'll play other songs like on banjo that aren't typically and I love when you do that because it just it sounds so different and it just adds such a different element to it and <clears throat> so I, I hope that people will go check that out well what where can people find you online where where are all the places they should look for you what are your all the handles of course i'll put them all in the show notes but but go ahead and, and shout it out for us
1: oh thank you it's um i am michael r-i-x banjo um and you can that will get you the instagram facebook twitter um, uh, i'm laughing because twitter is all the rage all over again uh, because <laughs> of elon um, uh, it's also um, TikTok, which I'm doing a lot of stuff on TikTok, um, uh, and um, uh, you can find me through that. Um, I can put in Michael Rix into Spotify. I've got one song up there, but I'll have a bunch more songs here by the end of this month, uh, beginning of June, uh, going up uh, there. So you'll hear a lot more of my music and. Uh, yeah follow me on tiktok and uh instagram i am michael rix banjo uh you can visit my website at michael R-I-X.com, uh or the michael r i c k s dot com and uh um, if you would like to send a love a little bit of love via venmo you're welcome to do that too same thing i am michael r i x and
0: uh,
1: uh you're welcome to read my book and uh, from cult to country um and uh, you know, learn more about my life story. And I hope that it inspires other people that find themselves in closed spaces. My my book is A Mental Health Recovery Journey. Uh, and that was what, um, it took me a minute to realize that that was really what I was endeavoring uh, when I took on that project and, and told my story and what, what it took me through. Uh, sometimes writing your story down uh, can really do that. But I had to, There are portions of my story that were difficult. I have my MacBook computer here. And some of somebody, um, uh, David Dunham Books, um, which is a publisher here in Franklin, they said, you know, don't try to type your story out. Just open up a voice recorder and speak your story into a, a dictation. And so what I would do on my MacBook is after I got to a certain point, it was too exhausting to try to type. And I would just talk into my computer. and as I did that, um, I found out I was writing 5,000 words an hour, uh, which is way faster than you can, your hands can type. Um, and so I learned it, you know, um, through that process, that journey of writing my book took me through, through so much. Um,
0: That's uh, such a good idea. Just dictate it. Like, that's so smart, especially if you're telling your story. So,
1: yeah, you know, it helps you just do, you know, tell the story much like you would if you were telling some friend about your recent vacation. You're telling, you know, event by event, by timeline by timeline. You know, Um, that was one of the miracles of getting to tell my story that somebody told me about that process because otherwise I would have kept procrastinating and never finished.
0: All right. Uh, any final advice uh, for for the listeners as they are coming up in their careers as we close out?
1: Oh, in their journey with what? Uh,
0: in their uh, As they're coming up in their careers and, and getting, whether they're getting started, looking for something new, just any last uh, advice for the listeners?
1: Well, you know, don't wait till it's perfect. Don't wait till it's, you know, perfectly shine and, and looking like a gold masterpiece. Um, start with what you have. Start with the smallest, most uh, pitiful piece that you have. Uh, when Microsoft, you know, showed you that that first keyboard, they had it hooked to a TV. There's wires sticking out all over, all over the place, and they're 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 at the you know the presentation there at the convention, and they're trying to show them. You know, when we type these word letters on the keyboard, it shows up on the TV screen. And they're just looking at them like, Ooh. you know, and, and they're so embarrassed. So like half the time when they did it, the first time it didn't work. And then the second time it did, um, you know, it, it just goes to show that, you know, you know, the Wright brothers took the, you know, they invented the airplane. They took um, some military uh, guys up in the airplanes uh, to show them what it could do. And one of the guys, they crashed. Uh, one of the Wright brothers crashed with this military member in the plane, and it, it killed him. You know, but they didn't stop. They kept persevering. Uh, the one Wright brother was in bed recovering for almost a year uh, from that crash, and he lived through it. Now imagine that he lived through a primitive cloth airplane wing airplane <laughs> crash. Right, yeah. and, you know, and now we get to fly in these big, you know, things, I, I tell people that your dreams matter, you know, you're, you're, the, 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 some some of my friends have called them throwaway years, uh, where those years where it was just hell and it was horrible and you don't want to tell anybody about it, but actually that's where the resilience and the fight back and the kick through and the push through were built in those worst most awful periods. And when you start healing your trauma, healing your pain, um, you start finding a means to heal your pain. That's what songwriting did for me is it put those feelings and emotions into words, um, and helped me process them. And it, so it was, you know, it helped me, uh, process the trauma. Um, there's a uh, organization here in town and, uh, one of them is called Create Events. The other one's called uh, Warrior Rounds. And they write songs. They help soldiers that come back from uh, deployments in Afghanistan and in the Middle East, come back and they tell their stories in songs and they co-write their songs with them. You know, anything that helps you tell that story, helps you heal that pain. Uh, don't carry that pain around um, in your whole life. You know, you have dreams and you have a future. And the pain will tell you you don't have a future, um, but it's not, it's a lie. And it's a lot of the lies that we get told come from us believing the toxic uh, things that come from surviving the trauma. So we we can we, we limit ourselves and we tell ourselves, well, I can't do that. You know, I've had this too much happen. And if I try to do this, then this thing that always happened in the past will come up and, and knock it down before I can get to it. And that's, that's the, 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 the toxic beliefs that we throw on ourselves. The, I say in my book, the worst kinds of lies are not the lies told to us by others, but the lies we believe ourselves, we tell ourselves. So, you know, you know live your life, you know, go for your dreams. Don't wait till it's perfect. Step out there, start that business, start that internet company, start that podcast. Take, go on YouTube, take the banjo lessons, take the guitar lessons, go on YouTube, learn guitar, learn piano, whatever it is, start that catering company, Um, you know, create that invention. Um, Don't, uh, you know, write the book if you're waiting to tell your story. Um, I'll never forget meeting uh, Dr. Ming Wang, uh, who's one of Nashville's most uh, famous eye doctors. He came out of the communist revolution, came here to the United States, with like, I don't know, less than a few dollars in his pocket, he now owns one of the biggest eye institutes in Nashville. Um, defeated, you know, has has been an advocate for freedom, and, um, and and talked about his journey out of the communist regime. And now he has um, uh, invented a, 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 a contact lens made out of placenta tissue, that when you put it in the person's eye, uh, it amused the the eye tissues Uh, and he's restored sight to people who were um, blind for years on end. Uh, He's had some pretty amazing breakthrough court cases. I remember telling him my story uh, sitting in the back of a church, a law uh, office, music office in this church in christ pres uh church he says he looks over at me he's sitting across from me he says so what's your story i said well i'm a cult survivor and um i suffered medical neglect and you know i went through no asthma medication for three years from age 11 to age 14. Um, so i would have three-day asthma episodes Uh, you'll read about it in my book um long story short You know, my brother passed away from the medical, lack of medical treatment. Um, And so he's, you know, listening to my story. And I say, but now I'm, you know, I'm working with uh, an organization called Map International that sends medicine all around the world. I'm an artist advocate for this organization. They send medicine to the tune of 29 million people a year. They serve every year. Uh, So because of my book and because of my story, uh, you can go to map.org forward slash Michael, R-I-C-K-S, and support them and help them send medicine around the world. So I'm telling him this story and he stops and he looks at me and he says, write the book. <laughs> <laughs> and this was in 2017, this was in 2016, going into 2017. And I was like, okay, the guy that survived communism invented the eye, you know, a placenta you know, created or, or invented a, uh, a eye lens, a contact lens that was made from placenta tissue. He was like, okay, I think this guy knows what the heck he's talking about. Um, you can check his book out, From Darkness to Sight. But uh, it tells his story. But once he did that, I was like, okay, I think I've heard it from, you know, somebody that, that uh, you know, just, just so overwhelmingly and convincingly said okay it's it's time to do it
0: Uh, it's time write the book (laughs) write the book. start the podcast write the song do do what do don't don't waste don't waste the day um go go and do it
1: i've had so much magic in my life i've had so many crazy opportunities that have come into my life that once it once there's an energy to this thing. There's a magic to it. There's a universe behind this thing. There's a God behind this thing watching this. And, you know, I, I, I have so many stories where something came up out of nowhere and helped. I'll never forget the day I was sitting, um, eating lunch. Uh, actually, I'll start back. I'll try to tell tell this as quick as I can. I'm in this coffee shop, I'm in Starbucks in downtown Franklin, and there's this lady in front of me, and she's ordering uh, like 12 coffees, just one right after that. and they're not, you know, a black coffee with cream, right? It's like, you know, each one's a chai with three of this and one plus that and a squirt of this and a drop of that. They're all like hefty, long drinks. Well, she's ordering them, and I'm standing behind her, and the music is playing overhead, and I can feel the blood rising. Like this lady's ordering twelve drinks, and I'm like, and I thought, I'm just gonna take a breath, and I just started listening to the music, and I was just like, I'm just gonna chill and float away, like I'm just in a you know grassy field, skipping and just having a good time, and I just kind of shut it out and stop letting myself get mad right long story short um that lady that was in front of me walks up finishes her order i order my drink the next day her and her husband bump into me again at the same corner outside that same store and she says you're the first people we met in franklin and i was like what i was like i don't know if i know you guys She says yeah you don't know it but i was you were standing behind me when I was ordering all those drinks for my movers that just moved me into town. She says, thank you for not getting mad. Thank you for being nice. And I, I was worried that you were going to be so mad at me for ordering all those drinks. Three days later, or about a week later, I'm sitting outside in front of a restaurant on that same street eating. And she says, what's your story? She walks up. She says, she says, I'm, I'm Oprah's post producer. And she says, "I used to run Oprah's TV show, and we just moved from Chicago here to Franklin." She says, "I want to. What is what is your story?" I said, "Well, I'm writing a book, and I'm you know putting my story into a book." She says, "Well, I work with books, with authors, and people that do media and tell their stories. I'll offer you a free consultation. Do you know that woman, Mary O'Donough, who blessed me with three uh, free consultations and helped me?" Uh, Get that book that you see on your desk uh Mary O'Donoghue. um now imagine what would have happened if I had been all huffy and you know wanted to blow the house down because she was ordering 15 drinks and you know again my story and and the the just something about the power of, of, of chasing down your dream um, there's all kinds of help that will that will supernaturally find you and magically, like the angels of God are looked are behind you to help you. Um, and that's just one kind of story of I have of many uh, like that, you know.
0: such oh, a good reminder he he God always does he puts the he he, he puts the things in your life when, when you need them. like he's he's always he is always there. I absolutely agree. Michael, this has been a fantastic conversation. I have so enjoyed it. Thank you for dealing with all my technical issues. Oh,
1: no, no problem at all. Thank you for having me.
0: Um, I will make sure that all of your links, everything that we talked about, all in the show notes for everybody so they can go check you out. Next time I'm in Nashville, I'm going to hit you up and hopefully I can come see you play in person. Until then, I'll be listening to Sugar Girl on repeat and then anything else that comes out. Uh, between now and then. So thank you so much,
1: Michael.
0: Thank you. Thank you again to Michael for taking time with me today. Um, When we recorded this, Zoom was not being nice to me. Uh, We kept running into technical issues, uh, but he stayed with me and I really, really appreciate his patience uh, with, with Zoom and myself that day. Michael really reminded me how important it is to tell your story and maybe you don't want to tell your story with a book. um, But it's important to talk about your story, to talk about things you've been through. And so maybe take the opportunity to just write it down in your own journal, tell a friend, talk to a counselor or therapist Um, because telling your story does give, gives you the power. Um, It gives you the power back. Um, if somebody has, if you've gone through um, something difficult, if you've gone through something like Michael, if you've gone through hard times, it's helpful to express those things. If you want to connect with Michael, check out his new app um, at app.michaelricks, that's R I X dot com. Um, and so the link is down um, in the in the show notes and description. Uh, But this app has all the links to his videos, his music, his shows, his bio. Everything that you need to know about Michael is right there. It's app.michaelricks.com. You can also find him on TikTok, sharing his music and his story. Don't forget about his book as well, From Cult to Country. Again, all the links are down below. I also added links to um, a couple of the charities he mentioned, Warrior Rounds, Map.org, and the book he talked about, towards the end called From Darkness to Sight. So check out those below. If you're watching this on YouTube, I would like to ask uh, if you take just a moment, would you like this video? Would you subscribe to the channel? I would really appreciate it. Uh, if you're listening on your favorite podcast app, would you consider leaving me a review? I would greatly appreciate that as well. Thank you to all who watch and and listen. I really do um enjoy hearing from you um one of you um one of my friends that that listens to the podcast um actually you know sent me a link on Facebook the other day they were like hey you were talking about neurodiversity check this post out like it's about neurodiversity and uh, i really really love when i get those things it really means a lot to me um when we can have those conversations and share uh the, share that information back and forth that's going to wrap us up for today Uh, I'll be talking about life work harmony next week uh, as we focus on navigating the workplace. But until then, remember that you are loved, you are worthy, and there are great things ahead for you in this life if you trust and believe in the Lord. See you next week.